Okay, guys, I'm going to read you this last paragraph, uh, beginning at verse 7. Um, I'm not sure you remember, but it is particularly verse... Well, that's not true. Uh, the, the whole paragraph is is controversial, I guess is the word, or at least hard. Um, it contains some concepts that we're not particularly accustomed to. And uh, some real fighting uh, words are in here that people love, or at least seem to love to fight over. Let me read you the paragraph, beginning at verse 7. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it. But the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Now, guys, um, last week was Thanksgiving. We didn't meet last week. So the, the two weeks ago, we, we looked at the whole idea of imprecatory psalms. You may recall, if you've never heard of an imprecatory psalm, it's an imprecation is a, is a denouncement. It's a piece of denouncement. Uh, and we, we looked at that, uh, that whole idea. I said to you then, you thought the whole idea of the elect obtained it was, uh, was difficult. Well, that is. And then you thought, oh, well, gosh, how could it get more difficult with uh, the rest were hardened? Well, and then it comes to this whole idea of imprecation. And I, and I said to you then, it's, it's the Christian church that battles about uh, over these other things in verse like, like the elect and hardened. That's, that's Christians who battle over that. The non-Christian world, they're far more concerned about the imprecation that's contained in these, in, in these verses and in the Psalms. I told you a couple of weeks ago there was a, there's about four of them. There may be five, but I think there's four imprecatory Psalms. There's Psalms where, where, where judgment is pronounced and denounced. There's, there's some pretty rough, tough language in some of them about maybe, may your children be dashed against the rocks and all that business. Those are imprecatory Psalms, and we addressed that a couple of weeks ago. But we come now to one more thing that I want you to see in this this passage. Um, And uh, then we'll start that new paragraph in January. But let me just remind you of this. I say this a lot, but you'll notice that verse 8 is, uh, we kind of mentioned that. That's just a part of this hardening thing. We've already mentioned verse 8. But verse 8 is a quote of some Old Testament passages that Paul puts together. Uh, there's about three of them, uh, Isaiah 29, Deuteronomy 29, and Isaiah 6, are all kind of, Paul kind of crams them together, and he comes up with uh, this statement uh, in verse 9. But he also does somewhat similar in, uh, excuse me, verse 8, verse, in verses 9 and 10, he's also quoting a psalm. He's quoting Psalm 69, verses 22 and 23. Now, the, the point that I've made previously is that one, you will notice when Paul is making his argument, the thing that he appeals to again and again is the Old Testament. He, he wants his audience to understand that what he is teaching is nothing new. He uses as verification things that are found in the Old Testament. He does that throughout the book of Romans. Because he wants particularly a Jewish audience to know that what he is teaching is not revolutionary. It's not something that Paul created. No, no, no. You can find everything that Paul uh, teaches in the Old Testament. And he makes sure you know that. 
by, by quoting frequently from the Old Testament. Okay, so we, we're going to look at another one tonight in verse 9. There's a quote, as I said, from Psalm 69, verses 22 and 23. And there's just one thing, really, that I want to draw your attention to and, um, and make a point that is very uncomfortable. But uh, it's the point, I think, that you find in um, that first sentence of verse 9. Let their table become a snare and a trap. <laughs> oh, boy. Let their table. What is Paul up to? What does he have in mind? What is he talking about here, guys? Gang, um, in the English language, there are all kinds of um, devices. Um, have you ever heard of this one? Metonymy. Have you ever heard of, uh, ever heard of a metonymy? We do it in the English language a lot. It's when you use one concept that's very related to another concept to represent the other concept. For instance, in the news in the evening, you'll hear things like, the White House has denied any charges of yada, yada, yada. Well, what are they talking about? When they say the White House, did the White House deny anything? Did the White House speak? But the White House is a metonymy. It's, um, it's really referring to, say, a George Bush. George Bush denied it. But, but they're using a metonymy, an, an English device, um, by using one concept that's related to another to represent the other. That's what a metonymy is. By the way, you can find this in a Webster's Dictionary. But we, we um, how about this one? Um, the state has the, a power of the sword. What did we just say? What did I say when I said that? Well, I said that capital punishment lies within the purview of uh, proper governmental um, uh, authority. But I used the sword. The sword, talking about the, the ability to take life, the thing that kills, or capital punishment. Those are metonymies, ladies and gentlemen. That's just, an, that's just a tool in the English language to communicate things in a very fresh and, and, and creative and illustrative way. Paul is doing the same thing when he says, let their table become a trap and a snare. What is he talking about? Well, guys, um, the best way, I think, to illustrate this is we just, we just all made hoglets of ourselves uh, six days ago, and we all came to the Thanksgiving table. And on that table was, was our finest. Now, I know some of you went to the Cracker Barrel, uh, boy, I'm not sure we can be friends, but, um, but in the main, you, you, you get the idea. I mean, we got our, you know, we shined up the silver and we did, uh, this, that, and the other. And somebody said, all right, bring in the first turkey, you know, implying that there's a second, but on that table is nothing but bounty, bounty. It's just Loaded down with stuff. It's got so much stuff on there that we end up throwing it away. I had one woman tell me tonight that she took all of her desserts, which really hurt me. <laughs> she threw away all of her desserts. 
I mean, how do you think I got to look like this, folks? Uh, so don't throw it away. I, I haven't, I mean, my wife's been gone for some time, I, you know. But, but anyway, um, but you, you think of that, that table, and it's, it's, in, it's in a lot of ways obscene, is it not? We couldn't eat that much stuff if we, if we brought in the neighborhood. And David in Psalm 69, and Paul picks it up and says, let their table be a snare and a trap. You know what he has in mind, ladies and gentlemen? It's the, um, it's the whole idea that, um, that everything that we have, all the bounty that we enjoy, all of the, um, all of the stuff that we have, let it become a snare for them. Let all of that bounty that they're gorged on, let it trap them. Let their affluence become a trap. It worked. Ladies and gentlemen, we're trapped. We're trapped by our own affluence. Um, folks, you may not understand this and may not you may not agree with it, but I'm telling you the, the message of the scriptures is that affluence, prosperity, is a spiritual danger. You who enjoy we who enjoy affluence. Now, I know that's a relative term, et cetera, et cetera, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm telling you, just about everybody in this room qualifies. Um, and it is danger we're in, folks. Danger. Now, you don't believe that. I know you don't believe that. Um, let me give you a test. Here's a test uh, that I thought up myself. I'm about to say something, and when I say these words, I want you to just kind of register what goes off in your, in your minds. We're talking about, here's, here's, the, here's the phrase, the burden of wealth. Now, what, 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 what did you think? Something like this, something like, well, if it's a burden, I sure would like to have a little bit of it. <laughs> or, um, that's a burden that I wouldn't mind carrying. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think it's a burden. <laughs> uh, you can call it a burden, but I don't think it's a burden. <laughs> You're trapped. You're trapped, ladies and gentlemen. You're in the snare. Affluence is a trap. It's a, it's a danger. It's a danger in a lot of ways because it produces a false sense of security. You know, ladies and gentlemen, Danny Owens, you know who he is? Danny Owens has the respect of our community. You know why? I think he's in jail now. That's uh, That was a small civic victory. But you got money. It doesn't matter what you did to get it. You have the respect of the community. It's, it's, it produces a false sense of character, a false sense of worth, 
a false sense of value and a false sense of security and a false sense of importance. Let their table become a snare. Oh, it snared us, ladies and gentlemen. It's got us snared. I want you. To, I want to show you something, um, um, which is really one of my favorite images in the whole Bible. But I, I want you to know some of the language of this. It's in Ezekiel 16. I want you to go with there with me. But I want you to know some of this language is. It's pretty tough. I got in trouble about a year ago because I, I just read something out of the scriptures. I read the word. Well, I'm not even going to use it because I got in trouble. But I, I'm, I'm, I just want you to. I just want you to stay with me as I read this. I'm reading from the what am I? The English Standard. <clears throat> I'm in Ezekiel 16. We're talking about the table becoming a snare. Um, read with me, beginning at verse one of Ezekiel 16. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. That's Ezekiel, son of man. That means Ezekiel. Make known to Jerusalem her abominations. Okay, Zeke, I want you to go tell Jerusalem of her abominations, okay? And here's what I want you to say to them. Here we go. Thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem. Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. Now that's, he said, here's your, here's your history, Israel. Your, your mother was a Hittite and your father was a Canaanite. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you, but you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. Now, this is all a, a picturesque description of Israel and her origin. Now, here we go. Pretty tough stuff in here. And when I passed by you, that's God, when, when I, God, passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. I said to you in your blood, Live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed and your hair had grown. Yet you were naked and bare. You still with the, the image here, folks? When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. This is God talking about Israel in illustrative language. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord God, and you became mine. Then I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. 
I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. See where this is going, folks? God says to Israel, first of all, I brought you to life. And then, what I began to do is take care of you. Um, look back at verse 10. I clothed you in, with embroidered cloth. And I, and I shod your feet with fine leather. Not leather, fine leather. I wrapped you in, not linen, fine linen. And I covered you with silk. And I adorned you with ornaments. And put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. Israel, I, I took care of you. <coughs> I brought you to life. And I made every provision that you needed. Not only that, I, I went beyond that. I gave you the best. I gave you prosperity. And I put a ring on your nose. And earrings in your ears. And a beautiful crown on your head. Thus you were adorned with gold and silver, and your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil, and honey and oil, like last Thursday at Thanksgiving. You grew exceedingly beautiful and advanced to royalty, and your renown went forth among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect through the splendor that I had bestowed on you, declares the Lord God. You still with me? Because I want you to see the next sentence. But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby, your beauty became his. Do you see what, what, what God said to Israel, folks? <laughs> he said, I brought you to being. You were, you, were, you were wallowing in your own blood. The cord wasn't cut. You're out there in the field. Nobody's taking care of you. And I said to you, live. And then you began to grow. And I, I, I made every provision that I could possibly make for you. Everything that you needed, I gave you. Not only that, I went beyond that. Because, I mean, you folks over there at Grace of Ann, you, you don't have just enough. You have more than enough. You have, you, you, you wrestle with, you wrestle with how you're going to spend the extra. But then in the case of Israel, she was so overtaken with her beauty. that she began to offer herself to any lover that passed by. She was in danger in all of her prosperity and she didn't know it. Turned her heart hard. She began to think certain things were true about her that weren't. She began to find her sense of worth and value in, in her beauty and her adornments. And she forgot where all of this came from and where all of this, this beauty and all of this provision were the source of all that was. And because it, because she had it, 
it ruined her. She fell into the trap. What, what David says in Psalm 69 and Paul picks up in, in Romans 11 is, let that table, let their affluence, let their prosperity, let that table that's loaded down with all of this, this stuff, let it become a trap for them. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the, that is the cry of one of the psalmists. You know, guys, um, I am. Um, I'll read you one more other passage. Um, it's in Psalm 30, and this, you know, is a collection of wise sayings. Psalm 30 is. Um, this is Psalm 30, verses 7, 8, and 9. Let me read you those three, and then we're. I think it looks like we're about ready to quit, but I'll quit when they show up. But uh, verse seven: Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me the falsehood and lying. and Remove far from me falsehood and lying. That's the first thing he's asking. Here's the second thing. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my... Do you see, there's two things that he wants. And he wants... One of the things, that, the things that he doesn't want is deliver me. Deliver me from prosperity. Because I know that the danger exists. That what I will do with that prosperity is that it will ruin me. And I will come to the place where I say, Who's God? Who's that? I don't know anything about a God. The reason that I am where I am is because I'm bright. Gang, the, 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 the thing that I want you to hear is, <coughs> sorry, that uh, the, the plea of Romans 11.9 is, is, a, is a warning to us our table can become a snare. Our table, our bounty, our prosperity, our affluence can become a trap. A trap into which we fall when we forget where it all came from. Um, you know, I, I said we don't believe that. But we particularly don't believe it when it comes out of the mouth of a preacher. Because we know that all preachers are, um, the only thing they're after is your money. We know that's true, don't we? You know, guys, um, I, get, I get criticized for a lot of things. But um, um, one, of the, one of the lumps that I take from time to time, it's not a serious lump, but one of the lumps that I take is, why don't you get in that pulpit and why don't you talk about tithing more? That's what you need to do. You need to talk about giving more. And if you've been around here very long, you know I don't, I hardly ever mention it. And, and I, very frankly, part of my reasons are all bad. They're wrong. But let me tell you one of my reasons. I guess my main reason is, the main reason that you hear so little from me about money is because my motives are suspect. People suspect the motives of the preacher. So guys, don't listen to me. Don't listen to me. But I would plead with you 
to listen to this guy. Uh, he says this. Take care and be on your guard against all forms of greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. You know who said that? That was Jesus, of course. Here's one more. No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot. It doesn't say please don't. It says you cannot serve God and mammon. Now listen to this. This is the Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. I'm saying, ladies and gentlemen, when somebody stands before you and says that prosperity is a trap, it is a spiritual danger, most of the time the response is like that of the Pharisees. It's ridiculed. Go back with me to Romans chapter 11 and we'll, we'll stop here. Um, look at it again. Romans chapter 11 verse 9. Let their table become a trap, a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let that full old table of theirs with all the bounty and all the prosperity and all the afflu- all that, all that stuff, let that become a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Now guys, I want to remind you of the context in which this is found. Notice, verse 7. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Now, right after that sentence comes this definition of his hardening and then this statement about the table. Here's my point. When God wants to harden somebody, one of the ways that he does it, he's got plenty, but one of the ways that he does it is that he overloads their table. Because prosperity, ladies and gentlemen, is no friend of the soul. It is a spiritual danger. Now, it doesn't have to be a trap. But more often than not, it is. Keep that in mind as we um, as we wrap up this paragraph in Romans 11 and resume in January. Um, let me pray over this, and I think they're, 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 they're gathering in the back like little bean counters. Our Father, we do thank you for your word and, and uh, know that it is, it is not going to pamper us. It is not going to, it is not going to flatter us. <clears throat> it's going to tell us what is the truth. And, and uh, here is a, um, a warning that often goes unheeded by a lot of us as we race all about to um, load our table down with more stuff. 
And I pray, Lord God, that you will convince us all that um, that snare, that trap, has either already got us or it is, a, it is out there as a danger awaiting for us to fall into it. Prevent it from being so, Lord. Might we be a people who find a, a great joy in recognizing that it is you that has given us the ability to make wealth. You have adorned us as individuals, as families. You have given us the, the opportunities. You've given us the skills and the capacities and the gifts. You gave us fine silk and fine leather. And instead of using that to draw attention to ourselves, oh God, enable us, allow us to draw attention to the great giver of every good and perfect gift. We ask it, of course, in Jesus' name. Amen.